The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about how Paris will happen here, here being the United States. Um, so, therefore, we need to say no to ISIS refugees. Now, it's not without some sadness um, that um, I bring up this topic and have my guest on to discuss this topic. Um, it is a very, this world, I think, you know, from day to day becomes cra- literally crazier and crazier. Um, the things that we, I mean, I've said this, I keep saying this actually over the years of, of doing this show, the past 10 years plus, um, and it, but it's been more, it's been more accelerated in the last few years, uh, particularly. And when you look at what we have on the Statue of Liberty, and I know that many of you have memorized these words when you were, uh, in school, it's the poem by Emma Lazarus. And at the bottom of the Statue of Liberty, and um, these words say, With silent lips give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed to me, tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Well, that was all well and good <laughs> at that time. And I know many of you, just like my ancestors, who came to uh, New York or the United States um, and saw uh, this, the Statue of Liberty, were welcomed by the Statue of Liberty with these words. The world has changed a lot since then. Can we really, can America, can the United States actually keep to this promise? It sounds great, (laughs) and we've been doing this for many, many years, but the world has changed. And um, the situation, the welcoming these in masses, the masses, uh, it's a different story now. I say we can't go along with that anymore. Um, I, it, obviously, if migrants hadn't been allowed to swarm Europe the way they've been doing, in my opinion, the ta- Paris attacks might never have happened, or at least they could have been lessened or delayed um, while authorities got a better handle on what was going on, on the plot that was being formed. Um, but there is such, a, such chaos in Europe and and approaching the United States, that these kinds of things, uh, these the ability to catch these plots, 
before they happen, um, are getting more and more compromised. Um, unfortunately, although yes, a lot of these people would be the kind of people, probably the majority of the people would be the kind of people that the Statue of Liberty welcomed and should continue to welcome. The problem is um, that it is, they are, there are people amongst those swarms who are she- in sheep's clothing, wolf, wolves in sheep's clothing. And, um, you know, one wolf, <laughs> or, or as we saw in Paris just now, um, a few wolves, <laughs> wolves, <laughs> wolves, um, can really create a huge amount of destruction. So here to talk about this with me is my guest, Dan Perkins. Uh, he is a foreign policy contributing writer, a terror analyst, and the author of the Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy. Um, I've had him back on the show before, and I welcome him back. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Thank you for having me on again, Doctor. I mean, what do you, I'm sure you've also thought about um, the Statue of Liberty and those famous lines that we were all taught to memorize as children. What do you think about all that? Well, I, 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 uh, yes, I was taught that. Um, and you're right, the, the, a lot of things have changed. And I, I think... Uh, as I've an- tried to analyze what's going on in Europe and what's going on in the United States, what I've concluded might uh, uh, might shock some of your listeners, but and, I, and I'll be happy to explain why I've come up with this this rationale. Mm-hmm. Two things have happened that has caused this problem. The first was the lack of assimilation in Europe and in the United States. Let me explain the first part. Let's take France, the country we're talking about. Now, I'm I'm not trying to, uh, what I'm about to say is not being meant to be said as sensationalism, but as a practical review of what, what happened and its causes. What happened in Paris was a result of the French government many years ago deciding that when they realized that the population of their country was diminishing because the birth rate was below the replacement rate and they needed people to work, they began this great migration of immigrants into Western Europe, Central and Western Europe. But what they did is that they didn't do what has historically been done not only in Europe, but done in the United States. And that is assimilation. Bringing people into your country on the basis that they must learn the language, they must learn the culture, they must learn the laws before they can become citizens. When the French government 25 years ago decided that they were going to bring the Muslims into their country... They allowed them to come in with no assimilation requirement. So what happened in France was the dissection of the country of France into portions of the country that were French and portions of the country that were Muslim. And those were recently, within the last year or two, labeled as no-go zones, meaning that they did not follow the French law, they didn't go to follow the French language, and they 
and they actually refused to allow the French government, police, or fire into that area. So what they did is to begin to, to subdivide the country of France into Muslim fiefdoms and French areas. So the second part of the question, which also is happening in the United States to cause the problem, also in Europe and Germany and all the, all the Western and, and Central European nations, is also the adoption of political correctness. Political correctness created, in conjunction with the a lack of assimilation, mm-hmm. a destruction of the culture of many of the nations in Europe, and ultimately it will cause the destruction of the culture of the United States if it's allowed to continue. When currently, before this great migration, or as I said in one of my commentary pieces, the new Muslim crusade to Western Europe, Um, we had a situation where we had people beginning to lose their rights and privileges and and accepting their responsibilities, and there was a growing and continues to grow a conflict between the real French and the foreigners who came in and under political correctness. When the when the Charlie Hebdo massacre took place, the, the president of France said to the French people and to the world, we made a mistake under political correctness. Our problem is we don't know how to correct it. If they do not correct it, and that same thing is true of Germany and England and all the other Central and Western European nations, there's going to this onslaught, and it literally is an onslaught, uh, of this invasion of this army of Muslims is going to dramatically change the culture and the history going forward of Europe as we know it today. The same thing is going on in our country. We have a situation where for the last 10, 15 years, we have given great lip service to the porousness of the border at the southern part of the United States. And we've allowed hundreds of thousands of people to come into the United States illegally, and yet we did nothing about enforcing the law. But in addition to not enforcing the law, because of political correctness, we did nothing to inform, to enforce assimilation. Most people don't know in this country that from about 1929 to 1960, there was a significant moratorium on the importing of or allowing immigrants in any quantity to come into the United States because the government believed and the Congress believed we had this great migration prior to the First World War that we needed to get those people involved and assimilated into the economy. Well, now we have multiculturalism going on in the United States when we no longer have, we have schools that English is no longer a, a Mm-hmm. Primary language, English is a second language. We have Hispanic radio stations and television stations and newspapers. That is not fostering assimilation. In fact, it's fostering anger and frustration by people who've come here legally and are losing, feel like they're losing their identity as Americans. I know that's a long-winded answer. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. No, I, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I I went to medical school in Belgium, so I lived in Belgium for, well, the school was five and a half years, and the last two and a half I lived in Paris. So 
I saw uh, the beginnings of all of this. Mm-hmm. And um, even then, you know, of course, at that point, though, there wasn't, well, I mean, there was unrest, but there wasn't, we weren't really thinking of terrorism, per se. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yes, there was, there wasn't really much assimilation, but there were also weren't really, the, the numbers of people weren't as high as they are today. So it really right. didn't matter as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, of course, um, you know, it, it does, um, I mean, it is, I think one of the points I really want to make sure that we, that we get to, and I don't know what, I actually don't know what your um, political <laughs> beliefs are, but, uh, I mean, well, I mean, other than what you're saying, but I mean, in terms of political parties or whatever, but um, I think one of the most worrisome parts of this in terms of the United States is that, and, and we'll talk about, you know, what, what you, um, the idea of the, what's happening in Obama and, and opening up the um, migration and all of that. But just to kind of first to, to say where it's going, I am concerned that there is a method to this madness, um, that it's not all about the Statue of Liberty and give me your tired and your poor and all that. It's mm-hmm. about creating chaos in this country. So that the people, people, certain people in power who want the power can take over much more easily. Mm-hmm. Building ultimately the large central government that makes all decisions for all people. Exactly. Clearly, that has been the objective of President Obama and the Democratic Party. All you have to do is listen to the Democratic debate last Saturday night and look at the programs and the things that they want to do, that they want to provide. $350 billion so that every child can get a college education, but the way they're going to pay for it is taking the money away from the one percenters. And, and on and on and on about new programs, making the government the central part. I mean, if you, if you look at it from the standpoint of the way ISIS is structured as an organization, it's a central government. The central command Mm-hmm. has control over the entire enterprise. Mm-hmm. And so a few people are in charge of hundreds of thousands or millions of people. And so uh, what, what, what that breeds, in my opinion, it, it breeds um, an intellectual eliteness by certain people that they think that only they can know what is the right thing to do. And so that mm-hmm. the minions must follow their lead. Right. And, um, and of course, it's much more efficient that way, <laughs> you know, um, if, if everyone is, is just uh, a peon and is controlled by, um, by the top leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's talk about, um, you know, your, what, um, the idea, I mean, one of the things that you talk about, the idea of, um, uh, what what Obama is doing in terms of what he's doing to and his uh, and the government is doing to allow to increase the influx even as I mean they were started this before Paris but mm-hmm. um, they're not letting Paris deter them the attack in Paris deter them one bit um, tell mm-hmm. us what what they're doing the details of what they're doing well the uh, one one of the things be, I I want to I want to get to your question, mm-hmm. but just give me a, a moment for sure. a little piece of background. Sure. We, shouldn't, we should not, as a world, have been surprised at the attacks in Paris because the leadership of 
ISIL told the world that in the first wave of migrants who left, and they're not really migrants, they're refugees, who left Syria and, and all the Middle Eastern countries and African countries who went to invade Central and Western Europe, we are coming there and we're sending at least 4,000 of our ISIL brethren in mixed in with the people. So the idea that they discovered last night that mm. one of the people who was arrested or is trying, they're trying to find him or is came in through, through Greece, through Syria into, uh, into Paris. So the idea that, that that would have happened shouldn't have surprised anybody because they told us they were going to set, they had already sent 4,000 people. We don't know how many more they've sent in. And so the other piece of information, there was a second instruction, and I know you've got to do a break here, but uh, I do want to answer your question. Well, I guess we'll have to do it after the break. Let me give you one other, one other instruction. Sure. They gave the, the, the 4,000 people. It's the same instruction that Muhammad gave to his people in, in 682 when he dispersed them around the rest of the world. Go and impregnate the women because the next generation will be Muslim. Hmm. Hmm. And what do we know about the people who are coming in? 75% are between 18 and 30 years of age, male. Hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, we do have to uh, take a break, but I, I like leaving with that, uh, leaving us with food for thought about that. Okay. All right, <laughs> we, uh, we're going to be taking a break. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guest is Dan Perkins. He is the author of The Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy, and um, some of this, it's a, it's a novel, but as we were talking before the break, uh, I mean, before we got on, that um, some of this fiction is becoming nonfiction. Very, right. very scary. So stay tuned. Um, I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and we'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about Paris will happen here, here being the United States of America, and therefore we should say no to ISIS refugees, refugees in single quotes, so-called refugees, but they are really wolves in sheep's clothing, uh, or as Trump says, and I agree, um, a Trojan horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're we're falling under the stampede. Now I'm I'm torn between following what you said before the break. I guess we'll do that. The um, the the uh, message from Mohammed uh, telling the young men to go and impregnate the women, um, because that's one of my pet I don't know pet peeves, but pet concerns um, about how so more and more women who are having trouble finding love. <laughs> You know, that's become, aside, put terrorism aside, before, before we were worried about terrorism, um, well, also increasing during these same years, actually, that we've been more worried about terrorism. Um, there is more of a worry, more divorces, more women having trouble finding love, and therefore more women falling prey to bad boy terrorists. Um, whether they are in um, in the Middle East and therefore the women go and try to join them, we've seen examples of that, or whether they are even on American shores. Um, and there is this, you know, there is that danger of, um, I mean, there's a very vulnerable population of women. You know, to go with the wolves again, um, well, wolves guarding the hen house, there's a very, a very uh, vulnerable population of chicks. Very true. I mean, if you think about it, um, given, for example, Minneapolis, Columbus, Ohio, and Seattle, Washington, are the three largest centers of uh, um, organizations from uh, Somalia, huge populations. The largest is in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The second largest is Columbus, Ohio, and the third largest is in uh, Seattle, Washington. What's important about what I just said there is that these are centers, meaning that they're already trying to divide the country. Mm-hmm. not to assimilate into the culture. And so if you have women who are looking for bad boys, they can go into Minneapolis or Columbus <laughs> or Seattle and find them in the in the communities of the Somalians. They're there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they don't all have to go overseas to find one of their bad boys. Mm-hmm. But the same thing is true in, 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 uh, in the other parts of the United States where you have gangs that are roaming the streets uh, that are basically Hispanic in nature, people who've come across the border illegally, and they're bad guys. But there are, just as there are people who are women who are looking for terrorists, there are also people who are looking for Hispanic bad guys. Well, yes, but you can have a bad boy of any uh, ethnic background, actually. Mm-hmm. And that be, you know, I wrote the book, <laughs> literally, mm-hmm. on it. Um, bad boys, why we love them, how to live with them, and when to leave them. Um, mm-hmm. I want to go back to what you started to talk about, because I think this is so important. And then we'll get to the uh, centers that the United States is opening up to, be, to bring in more um, Syrians, more of these so-called refugees. Um, you know, an in, there's been an interesting development. I don't. I just read about this, so I don't know if you're aware of this. But you know, this all this whole thing um, got 
got accelerated, this whole concern about these swarms of refugees, migrants, whatever you want to call them, um, when, when, after the Paris attack, the French police found a passport in uh, the name of Ahmad al-Mohammad, um, 25 years old, near the body of one of the men who attacked the football stadium. And, um, and yes, it was found that he came in from Syria through Greece, um, through Serbia, Croatia, uh, Hungary, and Austria, and then into France. And so, you know, this is sort of the, the poster boy <laughs> um, for why we shouldn't allow uh, refugees in because, you know, many of them will be, uh, will have these bad intentions. Mm-hmm. But now they recently found um, another man, not in France, um, with uh, in Serbia actually, um, a man with a Syrian passport that has the same name and the same details as this man that the the same as the passport that they found in Paris, but a different photograph. Mm-hmm. So they're saying um, that they think that both passports are fake. And yep. that there seems to be a um, uh, an area between Syria and Turkey where a lot of these passports are being manufactured. Mm-hmm. Did, did you hear about that? And some people, I of did. course, are using. I did, this. and and the issue the the issue here is that um, long before the attack in Paris, when this the, these waves of immigrants, illegal immigrants, started coming into Europe. Um, Again, a decision made a long time ago comes back to roost today, and that is when the when the European governments, nations' governments, decided to form the European Union, the 28 or 29 countries that decided to form this union, eventually over time eliminated their border control and their naturalization and immigration. So that a person who would come in through, through one of the uh, Italy or wherever – uh, from another country could come into Italy, they could come into Germany, come into anywhere, and because of the lack of border control, they could go, virtually go anywhere within the European Union, the 28 mm-hmm. nations of the European Union, uh, undetected. There was no way to, because they didn't track, they didn't take your passport, and they didn't take a picture of it, or they didn't run it through a scanner. You just if you've ever been in London or Paris, and if you've got an, a, an EU passport, they just flag you on. They never, they never stop you. They never touch you. Mm-hmm. And so this whole idea of this European Union created open borders, and with open borders, we saw the ramification of the inability of the government to stop this flow when it was released. And what's very important, doctor, is the word released. I don't believe this was arbitrary. I don't believe that these people left, given the nature of we discussed the person, the type of people that left, they were sent there and they went willingly as part of the jihad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, of course, it's kind of fascinating how apparently how Belgium is now, I mean, to me personally, having lived there, it's fascinating how that's become sort of a hotbed and how it really was a Belgian mastermind. Um, and what's interesting, actually, is that Belgium, besides, um, you know, there, it's not only a question of a poor assimilation of refugees or Muslims, um, which there was, actually, um, but 
I mean, which there was and there is. Um, but it's also, and I don't think people kind of take this into the, in Belgium, before the, there was this problem, um, there was already a divide between the French-speaking Belgians and the Flemish-speaking Belgians. Mm-hmm. And so um, that, I think, the fact that that existed, I mean, I used to have countless, I mean, I, I was in the French part of the medical school, and I spoke French, and um, and I and the post office, for example, there would be the most of the people who worked there were Flemish, so it mm-hmm. would be, it would take me a long story and a long time to get what I wanted in the post office because I was speaking French, mm-hmm. and you know they pretended that they didn't understand and all of that. So mm-hmm. I think that that and and there have been strikes and and um, uh, pro- protests and all that, um, a, a lot of unrest between the French and the Flemish. And so mm-hmm. I think because of that, it was a little easier in a way for this um, lack of assimilation or this this denial or this you know not becoming being aware or paying attention to what was going on into this um, now Muslim fiefdom uh, mm-hmm. because because the Belgians were fighting in between between themselves. Right. So, but talk about this whole new thing with Obama and the opening up more centers to process uh, Syrians more quickly. Well, that, that's a that's a it's a huge issue right now in Washington. Uh, there are, I think, the last count I saw this afternoon was twenty-five or twenty-six state governors who have said that they do not want the Assyrian refugees to come into their communities. Um, the, the Attorney General of the United States said this afternoon uh, they don't have a choice. This is a federal uh, immigration is a federal responsibility, not a state responsibility. And uh, um, in essence, she was saying we're going to do what we want to do. Now the Congress um, and Congressman Ryan, the, the Speaker of the House, said this afternoon that he wants to delay any action on this, and that they're proposing a piece of legislation that uh, would be introduced in the house to uh, to delay any further immigration of uh, Syrians until that the congress can be assured because see there's a conflict here between facts and truth um the uh the, the attorney general said to congressman Ryan that there are all the processes are are in place necessary for us to properly vet these people before they come into the United States. Yet other people are saying that um, the only way you can vet people is to you have access to the databases in the various countries to see if there's any bad things associated with a particular person. Well, given the, the lack of warm relationship between the United States and Syria, how are we going to get the data to verify mm-hmm. who this person is? We can't mm-hmm. get it. Um, and I heard this afternoon that uh, she's saying, well, we'll do individual interviews. Well, who's going to conduct the interviews? This is another bone of contention. Uh, immigration and naturalization, which is part of Homeland Security, uh, months ago said uh, publicly that they do not have the ability to vet uh, Syrians because their resources are literally overtasked to try and deal with the problem of the illegals coming in the southern border and they don't have the resources of the time of the personnel. Yet we've got the Attorney General of the United States saying, mm. not a problem, we've got all the resources we need to vet these people. Mm-hmm. So there is a, there's almost 
looks like there might happen to be a line in the sand where I wouldn't be surprised to see that somebody, some congressional committee, call either the person from Homeland Security or the Attorney General to testify before a committee to say, okay, show us what you got as part of your vetting mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that that's going to be proven to be a mistake on the person who says we have the ability to vet. And um, and so there was discussed at one time that the because we didn't have the resources in the United States that the, the United Nations was going to do the vetting process huh. for us. I don't think I want the U.N. vetting no. illegal immigrants, immigrants coming into the United States. No, uh, I don't think so either, <laughs> Going, judging so, from their past uh, votes and so on. Um, mm-hmm. And I know you were saying before, and I was thinking that as well, that even though Obama keeps tossing around the number 10,000, he wanted to have 10,000 Syrians come in, that really his plan is for many more. 250,000. And the, and the administration has released that. 10,000 is simply the first wave. He wants to increase it in 2016 and again in 2017. He wants to bring in 250,000 Syrians into the United States. But I must, I must, I, I cannot talk about this subject without raising one other issue. Mm-hmm. And that is the, that is the, the prejudice on the part of the president and the United States that they would rather bring in Syrian, Muslim Syrians, than bring in the remaining survivors of the Christians that are being persecuted in the Middle East mm-hmm. and give them a home. Yes. He's well, absolutely said nothing or done nothing about it. He would much rather bring in Muslim immigrants than to deal with the persecution of the Christians in the Middle East. Yes. And uh, and I have said it before, and it bears saying again. You know, as a psychiatrist I, I, and an analytic psychiatrist, I focus and I treat people by looking primarily at their childhood, starting with their childhood, and because that is what you know. As much as people want to poke fun fun at Freud or say that you know that's in the past or that's old news or whatever. He was, in all my years as a psychiatrist, I have found that he has always been right in terms mm-hmm. of how one's childhood unconsciously, consciously and unconsciously, affect who you are and what you do in your adult life. And yeah. the fact that Obama, um, putting aside his passport, <laughs> the question, uh, the fact that he was raised and schooled um, in the Muslim religion, and I'm not saying, and I'm sure you're not saying, that all Muslims are bad or all Muslims are terrorists. We do need to say that, um, that that, that is not true. <laughs> not all Muslims are terrorists or, or jihadis or have bad plans for the U.S. But um, obviously um, uh, Obama has shown his allegiance time and time and time again to his roots. Right. And, and the roots being, while they're not physically in Iran, he sees his roots in Iran because of the way he treats them. You know, there's one other point that I, I, I want to make um, um, because uh, I, I, and we may have talked about this in the last time I was on your show, um, I, I believe there's an enormous amount of ignorance in the United States that understands the people of the Muslim religion and understands what they believe and how it differs from what we believe if we're Christians or Jews or whatever in the United States. And I, I, I tell people that you understand that, that the religion was founded by Muhammad in about 632 based on his 
discussions with God. And uh, that the basis of that religion has been relatively unchanged. It has not gone through major reformations like the Christian religions have, or even the Jewish faith in, in over 1,500 years. My point being is that if you understand under the Quran the 12th Imam concept, you'll understand that it is, the, it is the responsibility given to the Muslim people by Allah, or at least they believe it is, to lead the world to the end of times. Yeah. And and so whether you're a terrorist or not, if you are a believer in the scripture of the Muslim faith being the Quran and the laws under Sharia law, uh, you have a certain set of beliefs, whether they're radical or not, is really not important. But understand what the mission, yeah. the goal and the objective of that particular religion is. Yes. Uh, the vast majority of the American people have no clue. So when we talk about the president not knowing who the enemy is by not being able to say that this is a Islamic terrorism, a radical Islamic terrorism, he himself is refusing to, un- to state that he understands the religion. Yes, absolutely. That's a very good point. That's right. Not even calling it by the right name, mm-hmm. but that's true. Um, organizations like CARE and so on have watered down um, uh, you know, what the Koran says, and because most Americans don't read the Koran, they don't really know um, some of these principles. Well, we do need to take another break. My guest is Dan Perkins. Um, he is a foreign policy contributor to DailySurge.com, TheHill.com. He's also the author of The Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy. We're talking today about um, the Paris attacks and how they are coming inevitably, at least at the rate we're going, to American shores. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
talking with you today about the Paris attacks and their imminent um, happening in the United States unless we change what, what our plans in terms of of um, allowing in the numbers of so-called refugees that President Obama wants to do. Um, my guest is Dan Perkins. He um, is the author of a trilogy, uh, a novel, which, and, and maybe we can talk about that before the end of the show, is how some of the things have actually come true that you had, had fantasized about in your novel. But um, why don't you start with the, the, the numbers to, uh, so, to give people a sense of what we're talking about? Yeah, I think there are some people who don't understand that this is not a, a radical sect. This is not a, a small group of people that, that, uh, that died in Jonestown or believe that the, the, that the Russians were sending crazy people to the moon and all this stuff. This is a group. This is a world religion that's been around from, from the 600s. It's got approximately 1.3 billion people and one of the fastest-growing religions in the world. And so it only takes a very small percentage of 1.3 billion to create a serious problem mm. for the entire world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. And so, but, but I, I do want to say something that uh, before we run out of time. Um, we're, we have spent most of this last uh, 40 minutes talking about the, whether or not there should be a restriction uh, on the immigrants that would be coming in to the United States from Syria because of the potential security risk after what happened in Paris. If, if some, by some stretch of the imagination, that the Congress all grows a backbone and decides they're going to do this and override the president who might veto whatever they're going to do, um, there's going to be a false sense of security in the United States. Because if you understand that Al-Qaeda and ISIL already have operatives, maybe thousands of them in the United States, whether or not they allow any more to come in to the country, they already did a video that was broadcast, I think, Monday, were saying that we're coming to the United States and they were coming to Rome. Yeah. And so we, we can stop the immigration, but what do we do about it's the same it's the same issue that tr- that Trump is is having difficulty with in in addressing and I I had a I have a solution for the illegal immigration situation in the United States. But the, it's the same issue. You can you can talk about okay, we'll stop them from coming in. In the case of Trump, I'll build the wall and that'll stop people coming in from illegally or dramatically reduce the flow. But what are we going to do about the people that are here? Well, we talk about the 11 million to 11 million 500,000 or 600,000 illegals that are in this country. And yet we don't know. Nobody knows whether that's a good number or a bad number. It's just a wild ass guess. And and my contention is that, that you can stop the flow of new people coming in, but at the same time, you got to find out who's here. Yes. And what we don't know is how many illegals that are in this country who are members of the jihadist movement who are planning the attack, regardless of whether we restrict immigration. Yes, yes, absolutely. Of course, that's you know Trump is also talking about exporting, <laughs> uh, deporting uh, some of the, these illegal immigrants as well. Um, you know, but we don't I have think... to. We don't have to do. We we. I I believe we don't have to do that. I don't agree with Mr. Bush and other other candidates who said it would cost 
$200 billion. Let me give you a quick couple of statistics. Immigration and naturalization says of the 11.5 million people that are in this country illegally, 40% of them are here on expired visas. Mm. 40%. Now, I, I propose in my, in my third book a new program, the American Identity Card. Mm-hmm. And what will happen, theoretically, is that when if Mr. Trump or whoever takes office in January of 2016, every person in the nation will have to prove to a government office that they, they belong in this country legally. Mm-hmm. Now, if 40% or 4 million of those illegal, illegal people are people who have overstayed a visa mm-hmm. and they, they can't prove they have citizenship, then what happens is they have to make a choice. Because if they don't leave the country and they get caught, they will never be able to come back again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I believe a, a significant number of the 4 million people will self-deport. They'll pay their own way out of the country and apply under a mm-hmm. program that will allow them to come back in more quickly. Yes, m- maybe. But you know, the only way that that works is if, in fact, the borders are more secure because this, this threat of you won't be able to come back again is meaningless because of how porous our borders are. Right, and that's the other part. You have, to, you have to close the border, you have to secure the border, and people have to understand that we're serious. And if we're serious about it, then we can do things, for example, under my plan, you say to the other 60% that are also here illegally, you'll have one year. Mm-hmm. And if you have a job... Any employer, every employer in the United States will have to have an American Identity Card copy on file. So if you walk in, if Immigration and Naturalization walks in and you have illegal employees, you have a $500 fine per employee for the first offense, 1000 for the second offense, and then prison time for the third offense. That's well, I mean, gonna... even now they're supposed to have, uh, have looked carefully at their employees. There is right. some... Not an identity card. I mean, when I lived in Europe, I had to have an, a carte d'identité, an identity card. Um, mm-hmm. That was very care- and you had to keep getting stickers on it. It was mm-hmm. very carefully controlled at that time. I mean, right. now it's kind of a joke. But so um, there are ways to put processes. Once you s- close the border, once you secure it, uh, and you you begin to attack the illegals coming across and stop that situation, the next thing you have to do is we've got to find out how many bad guys are in this country. We don't know that, and that's where we're extremely vulnerable. Yes, and, and, and how many who, who aren't even immigrants, how many who are just homegrown <laughs> Americans right. who um, are disgruntled and, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and want to, uh, since they didn't get the American dream, they want to ruin it for everybody else. I just want to, um, I want to make sure we get in, as I'm sure you know, there are now, tw- you mentioned the governors, and there are now 27 governors who have okay. said that they don't want um, these refugees coming into their state. Of course, the state that I live in, California, isn't one of them. New York, my hometown, isn't one of them. New Jersey is, though. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and I think that's going to help Christy. Um, but, uh, but um, you know, but what they can do, even though I mean, and I'm hoping. I mean, I would hope. I know this is really not realistic, but 
Um, there are so many reasons why Obama should have been impeached up till now, you know, doing these executive orders, making all, making, thinking he's the king, making rules like he's a king uh, with mm-hmm. executive orders and not going through Congress. Um, right. Uh, this would see, I, I wonder, I've been wondering if maybe this would be an issue that is, causes people to be emotional enough to really call for um, him to be put out of office, uh, to be impeached. Um, you know, and, and uh, I mean, that doesn't totally solve the problem, but I mean, I, I just wish that, that there would be some, something ha- would happen before he completes his term to stop any more executive orders. Um, but in any case, even if these governors, I mean, yes, what you were saying, the federal law is supposed to take precedence and so on, but there are ways that the governors can make their states less attractive to refugees um, mm-hmm. by not including uh, a lot of social benefits for them. Mm-hmm. And so right. they're publicizing that so that they would know, don't come to New Jersey, for example, because right. you're not going to get uh, money or food stamps. Mm-hmm. Or a car or a free college education. Right. I find that amazing that there, there, are, there are states in this country who are willing to spend my tax dollars to provide college education so that foreign nationals, Muslims, can come in and learn the English language. Mm-hmm. And I, I, just, I just think that's, that's, that's absurd. But it, it, it is, it's a situation where, um, you know, par, part of the responsibility, yes, rests with the president, Part of the part of the responsibility rests with the Congress, and the Congress, as over not just on Obama, but going back a number of decades, has abdicated more and more and more of their responsibilities to the president, and they've not stood up to him. And mm-hmm. so we we're, we're partially to blame. They're partially to blame for the situation that we're in because they haven't accepted their responsibility under the Constitution, and they've been continually abdicating. Um, I, I don't think there's enough time to impeach uh, impeach him, but there are certain things should the should the congressmen and senators grow a backbone, as we talked about earlier, uh, that would allow them to severely restrict by the power of the purse, and he can't spend the money for this, and he can't spend the money for that. And um, uh, but I, I I suspect that we have a Congress that is unwilling to to um, step up to what is their responsibility to make the, the right decisions for the country, and they will allow him to continue to do whatever he'd like to do. Yes. And, you know, of course, um, what doesn't get mentioned, there was uh, apparently Anne Richard, the U.S. Assistant Secretary of State, did, uh, on C-SPAN, did mention that she thought that... Um, uh, wealthy Gulf Arab states, such as Saudi Arabia and Qatar, as, as well as the so-called um, the countries Brazil, Russia, India, China, and to a lesser extent South Africa, that why aren't they stepping up and taking in some of these people? Because, they're, because this, the Syrians do not want to go to Saudi <laughs> Arabia. Because <laughs> going, to the, going to Western Europe is a hell of a lot easier in terms of it's a made difficult travel but the restrictions and the and the penalties and the laws and the strictness of the interpretation of the laws in Saudi Arabia 
are much more restricted than they are in uh, in, in Central and Western Europe or the United States. So mm-hmm. it's an easier place for them to to go and easy for them to avoid Saudi Arabia. Yes, we would like them to take responsibility for their brothers and sisters, but they won't. But let me let me finish with this thought for you. In the entire history of the United States of America, we as a nation and as a people have been isolationist. And we continue that process today. We have a president who is an isolationist, who wants to do things the way he wants to do. He does not want to engage in in war activity. He wants America to lead from behind. He doesn't want us to be involved. He is the Neville Chamberlain of our time. And we as Americans, because we we look at it and say, well, that's, you know, France, look how far away that is from here. Or mm-hmm. look at, at, at Saudi Arabia or Syria or Iraq or Iran. They can't relate to that. That's in another world. That's another universe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because of the isolationist attitude within the United States. It is only when we are provoked to, to a point that we're forced to respond do we as a nation on a historical basis respond? Well, we had to be attacked that that will... to get into the, to the wars. Well, let's hope that that will change, and it can't be, it can't come soon enough. But with the uh, with the next presidential election, and I do think all of this is helping, and I am pleased uh, to say that it is helping the candidates, the Republican candidates, who ha- every single one of them have made their statements on what they think about the the refugee situation, and mm-hmm. um, and particularly Donald Trump has been really strong about uh, saying you know what should be done and calling it a Trojan horse and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. And and you know I, I mean I, I hope the American people by the time I mean there's a lot that's going to happen between now and and the actual elections although the primaries are coming up but I hope that mm-hmm. the uh, that the people um, recognize the the importance of changing what's going on in Washington. Yeah. Well, Dan, um, thank you so much. You always have such brilliant things to say, thoughtful things to say. I want to encourage people to get your books because not just for like a uh, what an entertaining literary read, but I mean the, the Brotherhood of the Red Nile trilogy that you wrote. Um, what is fascinating and what I think will help people to open their eyes, and I'm always trying to get people to break through their denial of terrorism, is mm-hmm. that seeing what has already come true in the books that you've written um, that were supposed to be fiction, and and you know we're already you, you, these <laughs> these books are fairly recent, and we're already seeing. Uh, these imagined things, these horrible imagined things, actually coming true. That's true. It was a fun so, thing to do, and uh, but it is scary. And and people uh, people tell me they can't they can't disseminate between fact and fiction. But that's my job as yes. a writer to be able to do that. And thank yes, you for yes. having me on today on your couch. You're very welcome. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. These are really serious times, serious, serious uh, things that we have to contemplate. We all have to contemplate before it's too late, and we all have to make our voices heard. So see you next week, <laughs> same time, same place. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 